everybody. This is Jeff with Returning to Eden. Uh, Dr. Dina Dye will not be joining us today. She's getting busy for, you know, she's Jewish, therefore she's getting prepared for the uh, festival season, which would be um, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Sukkot, and also the Feast of um, uh, Yom Kippur. All of those festivals of the Lord are on the table. We're in that season, and of course I'll be preparing as well. But I do have a special guest. I want to introduce you to Mr. Michael Ortega. Now, before I do that, I want to give you a little bit of information about Mr. Uh, Ortega. Michael and I met uh, about three years ago. We're going to have a little bit of fun telling you about that. And uh, he is a former Catholic priest. We live in the same community. It wasn't until I took him to dinner one afternoon that we found common ground. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more uh, later on. But I wanted to start by introducing Michael Ortega, and I want to talk a little bit about his early years, how he became a Catholic priest, and also he is now the creator of Strike Force of Prayer, which is becoming a global online prayer uh, ministry, and he's going to talk a lot about that as a latter part of the show. So, Michael Ortega, welcome to Returning to Eden. How are you, sir? Thank you, Jeff. I am Great. I feel good and ready to roll. <laughs> so let's okay. do whatever we can now. <laughs> so uh, just to give you guys an idea of what he's talking about, we've been trying to put this pro broadcast together for uh, going on two hours now. We've had a lot of technical <laughs> issues. <laughs> uh, but all in good fun in the service to the king. Uh, Michael, you um, now you, you just had a birthday. You celebrated your 77th birthday a couple of days ago. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, so uh, the second of September, right? Uh, okay. Uh, I've seen I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot and gone through a lot, and I've enjoyed every bit of it. I have no regrets about anything that has happened in my life. I really don't. I feel uh, guilt-free. I have no guilt. I have no shame. I have no embarrassment. You can ask me as much as you want about my life, and I will share it with you as openly as I can. Uh, you know. Uh, barring anything that uh, I'm told not to say, <laughs> so uh, I'm free. I want to start uh, having. Uh, glad you said that because I want to start. You now. You were raised in California, and your mom was French. Your dad was Hispanic. Uh, migrated to the United States of America, so you were born and raised uh, basically in California. Uh, let's yep. start there. You started. Uh, uh, when did you start going to church? How did all that happen? Well, uh, when Dad came home from uh, the service, uh, so that would be in 45 or 46, I can't remember the year that he came out of the service. He, he was in Europe. And uh, we started living in Whittier, California. We had a little uh, trailer court where they found a little uh, a small trailer in those days, and that's where we lived for the first uh, oh, couple of years that I remember. And anyway, we would go to, we were Catholic. My dad was actually Catholic, and so was my mother from their backgrounds as uh, Mexican, and also um, my grandmother being French. And so the Catholic was just what we, what I accepted and was a part of. And we used to walk, to, my mom and dad would walk me to church, which was about a mile away. And there was a, a, a priest from the parish who used to go and say mass uh, in another part of the district or the parish, 
And he would come by and he would see us walking to church. And so he would pick us up every Sunday to get us to the Mass. I, I don't know what time it was, but I was too small to remember that. But that was the first inkling or first uh, time I'd ever met a priest. And uh, that kind of inspired me. And obviously I went through um, eight grades uh, at St. Mary's School there in Whittier. And I was an altar boy. I did all the things that uh, Catholics uh, did in those days, uh, uh, religiously. I can tell you stories that make you laugh. I, I want to tell you one story. You know, as a Catholic, you were told you had to go to Mass on Sunday. That was a, a number one commandment. And then on what they called Holy Days. Well, during the summer, there was a Holy Day. I think I can't remember what it is now, but it's in the middle of the summer, August, I think it is. Anyway, I was playing baseball, uh, and I was away from my mom and dad. They were both working, and I was I think I was probably around 10 years old or something like that. Anyway, we were playing ball, and there were other boys who were Catholics, and so they asked me had I gone to Mass, and I lied because I knew my mom and dad couldn't go to Mass, and I couldn't, so I, didn't, I just lied and said, yeah, we went. And so the next thing it is, I'm going out, I'm playing uh, a third base, and a ball is hit to me, ground ball, coming right at me. I'm ready, and it bounces, hits a rock, and bounces and hits me right in the nose, and I got a bloody nose. So there I was in mortal sin with a bloody nose on the baseball field. See, <laughs> so that, that's, that's a Catholic story. Anybody who's a Catholic would understand that guilt and uh, all of that, that that goes along with that. But, uh, yeah. yeah. The, Lord, the Lord got you for lying, huh? Got, you. <laughs> got me good too. <laughs> well, let's talk. Um, let's talk about. You, you, you told me you had a little brother, a younger brother, who's passed now, but he came about six years later. What right. was his life like? I'm kind of curious as I was thinking about it. How did well, he grow up? You you I, you gravitated towards the church, and how did your brother? How was your brother's life? Well, you know, amongst Catholics, uh, following the oldest son is kind of a thing that they do. So my brother was always uh, following me, you know. He looked up to me, obviously. And when I went away to the seminary, he thought of doing it, and he did too. He didn't, he didn't follow through. I think he went uh, two, a couple of years to the seminary, and then he dropped out and had his life as, uh, as a businessman. He eventually worked for the telephone company, etc. But uh, I think that's kind of the tradition that goes on with being a Catholic that, you know, they look up, to, the priesthood is held in very high regard. I'm sure it is still to this day with amongst a lot of Catholics. Uh, so, you know, that was, that was it. And so, you know, the older brother, I went away at the age of 13 to the seminary. Uh, I spent uh, uh, six years in Oakland, four years of high school, two years of college. I went to um, Bridal Veil, Oregon, where they had what they called a novitiate, which is a year-long uh, indoctrination kind of thing where you learn to be uh, the religious order that you join. And then from there, I went three years to Wisconsin. I was studying to be a priest three years in Wisconsin, three years in New York. And so I was ordained in 1969 in San Francisco, California, at Mission Dolores Church. Well, how and old were you at when you were ordained? I was 24 by that time, I think. Yeah, I was around 23 or 24 years old. So you had spent the better part of 15 years. Yep. Pretty close, pretty close to it. I, um, uh, you know, 
I, I did come home. Uh, we, uh, in those days, it, it was still part of the old system of the seminary. And so um, while in high school and college, I did come home for the summer. But once I got to the novitiate, you no longer were ex, uh, could expect getting home. But things started to change. Uh, so we're talking about the 1960s. We're talking about Vatican II and how it influenced the Catholic Church and made a lot of changes. Uh, a lot of things, uh, some sad things a lot of people went through because a lot of changes took place. Uh, we went from Latin to English. Uh, you know, I can name a lot of things that I saw that transition. I was a part of that. And uh, so, and I did get to go home. Um, after three years in Wisconsin, I went home uh, for oh, a month, I think it was, and they put me in uh, Whittier where we have a parish run by that same congregation, and so I was there for, I don't know, six weeks, I think it was a summer anyway, and so from then on, though, I uh, that was the only time I really went home until I was ordained in 1969. So from 1969 moving forward, uh, how long, I mean, when did you leave the Catholic Church? Uh, 1981. I was, um, I, as soon as I left the seminary, they put me in St. Louis. And I spent uh, six months in St. Louis. That was a beautiful experience. I, <laughs> I can tell you a story. Uh, you know, the community is uh, primarily black in that area, and that was... Uh, during the Johnson years, remember they put up the the housing started the project started. So I was there uh, in 1970, uh, and uh, part of the place that I was responsible for was in that area. And I uh, remember I was uh, coaching their uh, softball team for kids. I think they were around 10 or 12 years old. And I, I had great experiences with those kids. And I remember sitting out on the back porch. Now, being Mexican, when a Mexican gets in the sun, I, I can turn very dark, uh, you know, real dark. And, I, of course, I haven't been that way in a while. But anyway, uh, at that time, I was with the kids, and so I was always out in the sun with them and stuff. And I was really dark, complected. And I remember the boys were talking, and they said, uh, uh, what? They were talking about being black, you know, and I said, "Well, don't don't you know what I am?" And the kids looked at me and they said, "No, what are you, Hawaiian?" <laughs> and then when I told them I was Mexican, then they really flipped. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. So you're in the ghetto, basically. You're in the ghetto. Right, right. And it it was a beautiful time. I I I cherish every moment. I. There was a, and that was a rough neighborhood in those days. Uh, they had a murder about once a week in that section of St. Louis. So I, I, I saw a lot of stuff uh, in the, you know, that part. And then I came out here to the West Coast in 1970, uh, 71 actually, January 71. Uh, I started at, at a retreat house that's in Federal Way, and then. Uh, I spent a, two years there, and then they shifted me to Seattle. I was at Sacred Heart Church, which is right next to the uh, Space Needle. I spent uh, about six, seven months there, and then I, they brought me back to the retreat house, and I was there until I left in 1981. And I was, uh, I roamed. 
of preaching in Canada, all over the United States, uh, Texas, uh, and we have uh, different religious houses in throughout uh, you know the United States. So I would always stop at those places. That's where <clears throat> we would travel to, and did uh, preaching, mostly preaching. What 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 happened in 1981? Well, I mean, tell me about the time when you became. I, I don't know, is disillusion the right word? I mean, what happened? Well, uh, yeah, I think, I think it was going on. Um, see, there were a lot of changes taking place. And uh, if you have an image of religion, or, or rather religious life, uh, there was a order, and there was uh, certain things you did and you didn't do. But the transition... Of Vatican II brought in a new wave of thinking. I, I, uh, if Catholics will remember, the nuns started to move away from the habit, you know, the black robes and everything else, and so did the priests. Uh, I'm talking about a religious priest, though. I was not what they would call uh, a diocesan priest, which is, uh, you know, he's in, he belongs to that diocese. I belong to a religious order, so I was moved around more and, and freer in travel. But anyway, um, so that, that, that era changed things, and it changed the religious life because then the television came in, uh, more of a secular influence on that religious aspect, you know, wanting to be one with God. Well, here now you had the distraction of movies and television. Uh, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, at 9 o'clock, uh, at 9 o'clock at night, everybody would run down to the TV room, what we called TV room, and watch television, you know, till 11, 11 o'clock at night, whatever. I was never much of that, but I, it was there. And so I, I think that that whole era just kind of disillusioned me about the uh, wanting to get close to God that made me want to become a religious priest or a religious person. And so I lost, uh, I was disillusioned by what I saw was going on. I mean, um, the lifestyle had changed so much. You know, I, 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 I don't want to tell all of the things, but, you know, alcoholism, cigarette smoking, all of those things. I, I was a part of that, I, you know, that influenced my life. And so I was getting more disillusioned. And um, I think, you know, that... It, it made it real easy for me to leave uh, when when the time came. I, I eventually became the boss of the retreat house, and I started making changes. I was starting to get different groups in, and they were doing more things, and uh, the people that were in charge were questioning what I was doing and my uh, way of uh, living and, and stuff, and so um, they wanted me to move out of there and uh, go to another place, which I did not want to go to. And, of course, one of the things of religious life, you have a vow of obedience. And I said, no, I wouldn't go there. And that's when I uh, fell in love with a, a beautiful person, and I moved out and moved on, and I just walked away from it all. In 1981, I haven't looked back. I'm not, I don't have any problem. Uh, I think the only thing that happened was I was kicked out of the religious order because they wanted to make sure I wasn't making money uh, saying that I belonged to their order and was receiving donations or gifts and stuff. So 
uh, a lot of that stuff is there. You know, there's a kind of a complication of things uh, that it, well, it's I, hard to... I, I don't want to get into all of that, but I can certainly appreciate the mechanics of what happens when you decide to move on or move away. Uh, that's, right. kind of, that's kind of universal. It's called ostracized. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you about your parents when you decided to leave. Uh, were they both alive at the time? Um, well, we were Catholics in name only, I think. My father was not. My father was more religious in his uh, attitude towards the Catholic Church. Uh, he was a rosary prayer. I mean, he. I, I know. I know. My father was a beautiful man. I cherish the fact. Before he died, he said to me, "Mike, he's just like me." And when he said that, it was just you know, I, I melted because I had never heard my father speak anything like that. I mean, I knew my dad always loved me and took care of me and everything. But when he said those words, it just uh, solidified everything. And he never, never said one word about my leaving. My mother did not either. There were Some of the family did kind of question it, but I never got any kind of blowback or anything like that. So I, okay, I just know so I walked away. For the sake of time, let's fast forward to... Sure. Uh, let's fast forward to uh, your life now. You're you're in love. You've you've got a relationship. You're out of the Catholic Church, but you still had a hunger for God. Yes, and um, I I just I I I searched for about three or four years after that. I I went to every church you could imagine, black church, Chinese church, Vietnamese church. I was all over the place looking for what. I had been familiar with, you know, a, a system by which you just kind of flowed in. And, of course, all of my education and everything else, I was knowledgeable about a lot of things. But I even saw that even amongst the Protestant churches that I went, there was a certain kind of uh, system that you had to fit into. I remember going to one big church that's here in the area. Uh, this is years back when I first started. And I was um, asking if they need counseling. And, uh, of course, you know, being I had pastoral counseling experience. And so I offered my services to, you know, be on their counseling staff. But they were scared of, uh, scared of me, and so I, I never got the job. I ended up uh, uh, doing a lot of counseling. I uh, ended up uh, working for the Salvation Army for a couple of years. And uh, then had private practice uh, through most of my life uh, with uh, people. Um, I had a, a strong reputation of being a pastoral counselor for okay. all the years. Okay, so <clears throat> now let's jump to the the time that you and I met. <laughs> now, no, yeah. I, I, I've, I've listened to you tell the story, but tell the audience. Uh, how you and I came to know one another from from your perspective, because I have a different take on, on it. <laughs> well, I mean, I you have to understand, you were one of many. Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. Well, well, um, Virginia said, you know, she liked you, and she liked watching you. You had your YouTube channel, and you were giving this thing. And I, and I can remember. See, you got to remember, I got a Catholic background. 
I've studied the scriptures. I've read the scriptures all my life. I've, you know, I studied not just Catholic doctrine, but other other parts. Uh, those that have studied the scriptures. And so when I heard you, it kind of stirred me, uh, wondering if you were orthodox. I guess <laughs> I guess that's the word. And your and your theological outlook on what you were saying about the scriptures, and so that just kind of stirred me. You know I what think, I mean? I think you thought I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I it wasn't that bad because you were pretty good. I mean, you were good, and I did enjoy you. It's just that I questioned things, and so I started tech. Uh, what do you call it? Commenting. On your web, on is that what you call it? Comedy? Yeah, yeah I call comedy. it antagonizing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was very pointed about some of the things I said. I must admit, <laughs> and so, and so that's how uh, you know. That's just the way I am. I, I I'm not afraid to you know question or or talk back <laughs> at people. Well, it's when they, because uh, what what Michael's not telling you. Is he? Um, he was pretty, pretty uh, <laughs> adamant about questioning and challenging uh, my perspective on things. And of course, I was coming from a Hebraic perspective, understanding the Torah. And for those of you who know me for any period of time, this has been been the biggest transformation in my life—a great big paradigm shift. So when Michael and I were um, <clears throat> combating one another online, <laughs> I finally <laughs> said, "Let's go to dinner." <laughs> and I yeah. took him to dinner, and I wanted to give him some uh, some information. Uh, and I, I ended up giving him the Feast of the Lord presented by Pastor Mark Biltz. Uh I was attending El Shaddai at the time. And uh, that was a transformative dinner, if I would say so. And it solidified our relationship. We've been friends ever since. Yeah. Uh, so, But it all started because Michael was... He became one of my number one antagonists online. <laughs> and then something happened, Michael. Why don't you explain to the folks what happened? Like, uh, I, dynamic I, of our relationship. I, I can't. I, I just can't explain it. I, we watched you continuously. Really did. Every video that you put out, we would, and we got notification it was out, we would watch it. And I did enjoy it. I really did. And even though I might have had my questions, like you said, you had a different perspective than I did. And so um, when uh, Virginia died, I, uh, my life suddenly changed. And so I... Uh, I can't remember how it even came about when you asked me to to dinner, but I had changed so drastically toward you, uh, and the last couple of videos that I saw, that I just appreciated what you were doing and appreciated you, and so and then that night when we had that supper together, I mean we ate, but we spent the time in the scriptures, and I had not done that with a person in a long time, and I remember you. Uh, you know, you had the scriptures, and I I brought mine, and we were looking at the scriptures. Of course, mine was a Catholic translation; yours was the the Hebraic translation, etc. So it just opened my heart and opened my mind, and I just loved you, and <laughs> I, I just uh, uh, ate up everything that you said, and from then on, it just grew uh, to you know a, a love of the Lord that uh, has been expanded, especially with the scriptures. I I just love uh, reading and 
and understanding the, the, the scriptures, especially the Hebraic side of everything, you know, our traditions and stuff. And so I, I just that, grew that, it. That's really what happened, folks. As I began, for me, with the Christian community, Catholic community, it's, we need to go back to the root of where all of this was born, and that happens to be with Israel and what God was doing through Israel. Yep. In my mind, the Bible is about the relationship between God and Israel for the benefit of the nations. And as I was going through the various scriptures and things that I've learned over the years and teachers that I've had, I was just sharing that information with Michael, and it was a paradigm shift for Mr. Ortega in a lot of ways. And uh, so he would now, now it became more questions. And he would send me emails and ask me questions, and and uh, so, and then of course you start a strike strike force of prayer. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But as I was showing to Michael the scriptures from a perspective not familiar to most Western uh, believers, that began to open up another whole conversation with you, and you pursued it. You're one of the people that pursued it, and how has that affected you? I mean, I'm talking about the Feast of the Lord. I'm talking about how we view Hasatan. I'm talking about how we understand the gospel message. It's a bit different when we give the scriptures back to Israel. Would you or would you not agree? Yeah. It, it, see, the thing, I just hit the camera off. Sorry. Uh, the other thing about this is, is the fact that um, it changed my perspective on looking at the scriptures and I wanted to delve more deeply into it, and uh, the sources that you gave me uh, helped me. I uh, continued on uh, reading, uh, looking in different areas, especially uh, I, I bought different Bibles. I bought, uh, the one that you suggested I bought. I started reading the scriptures and seeing a different perspective on, on understanding God and how he relates to uh, to us and 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 uh, through the scriptures and so you know um, it's I've grown in a love and appreciation of what is going on in this day that there are more and more people wanting to know and understand the scriptures and the original going back to the original outlook of the early early church, and I'm talking about it's Jewish in nature, the early church, because all of the writers of the New Testament are all Jews, especially Paul, who was a Pharisee, and, uh, you know, he was... Uh, is it safe to say that now you realize that their concept of what was happening is a far cry from the last 1,800 years? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, I, I'm a history person, and I love history, and I... I I tried to see how that conflict took place and get a better understanding of what happened in the in the early church and uh, especially the whole thing of the uh, attack towards Jewish people and and all of that that all stems from the conflicts that went on in that early in those early stages when they moved from uh, the the background of Israel into the Gentile nations with uh, the Greek attitude and, and, and all of that, and how that uh, slants as you move further across Europe and into uh, the different languages and how they translate the scriptures and how they look at, at things and the traditions that grow up out of that. And it, 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 
it's a it's a beautiful thing to 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 look at and be a how part you, of. I, how would you, as a as a former Catholic, how would you now define the Constant, Constantine, the court of Constantine, and what he his impact on on really Western society? How how would you describe that now? I I would say it's the same thing that happened to me in my religious life. The secular influence took us away from the closeness of God's presence. And the Roman way became, uh, the, 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 they switched, they made the church become a Roman empire. And that's where the history, you can see it in the history, that Constantine actually started making the leader of the church at that time, they call him the pope, he became a material leader as well as a spiritual leader, and then they started having their armies, they started having territory, starting having power, and just like a king, and that's why there's all those conflicts. If you look at in history, you know, the separation of England from the Pope is because of the marriage between Henry VIII, he wanted to divorce his wife, and the Romans, uh, the Pope didn't want it, and so the conflict is there, and that's all that separation. And the same thing goes through its whole history. That's why Martin Luther stood up because uh, they, they were, you know, they were actually preaching wrong. They were they were using uh, Catholic doctrine to make people give money to building churches or whatever it was, and getting uh, indulgences. All of that, all of that conflict is there, and so all of this stuff is. You know, it's repeating history of uh, secular influence over the spiritual when it should be the spirit first and then the secular. The secular well, should be a... We, we completely agree. I mean, it, it, you know, if we fast forward to today, we're seeing the same thing. It hasn't changed. You know, uh, the, the, the kingdoms of men, the religious systems of men seem to predominate uh, mm -hmm. just about everything, and so the voice of the Lord is kind of on the back shelf, and we have chaos and corruption and all kinds of things going on in our in our world. But like I've always said, it's simply our turn to experience the failure of mankind when it comes to understanding the covenant relationship with God Almighty. And I think you and I are in a place now where we can completely agree on that, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like I said, th th this whole thing with the scriptures, that just opened up a, a whole world to me. And I, I love, um, you know, I, I can talk a little bit about strike versus pair, but we have a whole area in which a lot of the people that uh, are part of what we're doing uh, tend to want to be a part of those uh, practices of the early church, uh, remembering the feast that let you just mentioned at the beginning here of, uh, well, Passover, uh, trumpets, uh, all all of the feasts that are there. And I want to tell you, when you gave me the DVD series by Pastor uh, Blitz, Mark uh, Bilt, yes, yeah, that that changed everything. That that really opened up a lot of stuff because I I watched them two or three times and I got a better understanding of how we have walked away from truly understanding our roots of where even the feasts that uh, Catholics and, and Protestants uh, celebrate really stem from the background of uh, the feasts that, that God originated in, in the scriptures. Uh, and well, so, it's, kinda like a, it's like, for me, and I don't mind saying this, 
we took the original and turned it into a golden calf. Mm -hmm. And from the golden calf, we, we raised up empires and religious systems and doctrines and denominations and a plethora of confusion yeah. uh, with regard to what the feasts of the Lord are. So, but having said that, and, and I'm glad you tapped into that, Strike Force of Prayer was born for what reason and when? Because it happened after you and I met. Right. Uh, I started, I, I met, uh, some people will know who he is. Uh, Mark, uh, a, a friend of mine, heard me on Michael Savage's radio program. I was being interviewed uh, about states' rights in one of his programs. And this friend was a friend of Mark Taylor, and he wanted me to be introduced to Mark Taylor. And I was also friends with Larry Nichols. Now, if people remember that name, he was uh, with the Clintons when they were uh, governor in Arkansas. And then he went to, uh, you know, then Clinton went to become president. But Larry had a moment of giving his life to Christ, and it changed everything. And so during 2016, I was part of Larry's uh, team of research trying to help Trump with uh, giving them information about how the Clintons and, and all of that turmoil stuff that they do was going on. And in the process, then I met Mark Taylor. We had a conference, the four of us together, this friend and Mark, uh, Larry, and myself, and they said to me, you've got to do something spiritual out of this talk that we had. And so about two weeks later, uh, uh, my friend also said I needed a website. So about two weeks later, I was in a deep sleep, and I woke up at 4 in the morning, and the phrase strikeforceofprayer.com came to me. I couldn't get back to sleep, so I went to uh, buy the domain. I bought the domain, and uh, then on a Thursday, June 1st, 2017, sorry, uh, I started the first conference prayer call with myself, Mark Taylor, and about four or five other people. Well, what, what does that mean? Get, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of slow down, because I want people to understand you started something, and what was that something? Okay. The thing that came to me was that we needed to pray for the nation. That was the motive. You can read it on our, on our strikeforceofprayer.com, the mission statement. It's to pray for our nation and to pray for our government. The president, the executive branch, the judicial branch, all of the branches of government, that was the main emphasis that was given to me to pray because we were actually, you know, as uh, the election was coming up, that was a part of all of this uh, and, uh, and, and, and all of the things, all the turmoil that was going on. And so when we um, started that prayer, that was basically it, to pray for the nation. And like I said, I started off with five people only on a Thursday. It grew to about 10 or 15 people that, uh, you know, they started hearing about it. On July the 7th of that year, we opened up the website, so that started to draw more people to us. 
and then uh, in um, December, uh, about October, I got brave and I started the second day of prayer. So Tuesdays and Thursdays are always uh, strike force of prayer, pray day, prayer days for the nation. For the nation, that's our key ingredient for the nation. Then in December, Mark mentioned us on one of his interviews on, you know, the Internet goes worldwide, and then this thing took off. It, you know, it's not me. It's God's work. It, this is. He's the CEO of it all. Well, and well, I mean, what happened? It took off. What do you mean by that? Well, we started getting more people on the call. So then I was getting up around 50 to 75 people, I'd say. And uh, then there were more and more people visiting the website, and they wanted to join. So we started joining. Uh, right now, we're at 4,200 people who are members of the Strike Force of Prayer from that original five or six people that started. Now, if that isn't God, I don't know who it is. But that that's that's how it's taken off. And everything is a part of that. And now we're also international. We have a prayer call, a strike force of prayer call in Australia. I just I just got uh, the guy's uh, um, bulletin about what what he's going to do for. He has a prayer call uh, Monday night. Um, there's one in. Um, uh, we just got one started in Kenya. Uh, there's uh, some people trying to get one going in India. Uh, there's one in Canada. There's one in England. Um, so, so I mean, so what do you do? What you you get on a phone call on a computer? I mean, what 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 yeah. happens? It's just very simple. It's a phone call uh, through freeconferencecall.com, just like we're on this right now, and it's just phones. And uh, right now, I'm averaging between 350 and 400 people on every call Tuesdays and Thursdays. I have to put together the program for uh, Tuesday's call. And I mail that out to email that out to all of the members, and uh, we well Tuesday morning, I'll start at nine o'clock Pacific time, and people will be calling in, and joining, and then we start the prayer say a few minutes after nine, and go for half hour, allowing uh, I have a set program, I lead, and then there's a couple of partners with me that they also pray, and then it's open to anybody who wants to pray and add a prayer, and so that goes for uh, roughly a half hour, and it's recorded, and it's up on our website, it's on our YouTube channel, and uh, people are just, you know, it's a movement of God, of prayer, uh, unbelievable. I, Some of the prayers that are said, I am just, you know, I'm moved by hearing what's in the heart of these people, and, you know, um, I know that this is uh, election season and all that, you and I are both involved in a lot of stuff and I know <laughs> that uh, this uh, the, uh, people are going to be shocked by the turnout on this election uh, it, it's it's going to amaze everybody how red the nation will become because people are praying well you know that uh, Dr. Dina died she also has started called On Fire Prayer, and it's also blown up uh, global. And, uh, you know, I think that the Father is calling his people to prayer and to pray for the things that he would have 
as opposed to the chaos and the corruption and the swamp and all the I mean, Michael, I was talking with Dina Dye just a couple of days ago, and we're, it, it can be quickly, rather quickly overwhelming at the different things that are trying to wipe the kingdom of God away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the voice of the people crying out to the Lord through strike force of prayer, on fire prayer, and just people in general, and particularly Christians, and, and even Catholics who want more, who want to understand more, of the role of what we can do, I think that's all happening. And I think one of the things that has to happen is we have to kind of divorce ourselves from a denominational attitude to become more of a citizenry of a greater kingdom and a voice in the political arena. And I think you will, you will agree with that. And I think, like you said, Strike Force of Prayer was started to pray for the nation and to pray for what's happening in the nation, and particularly... I'm sure you would agree in the few minutes we have left in the program that the political reality that we're all praying against in order for the righteousness of the kingdom of God and the freedom and the oppression to be lifted off the people, I think that's kind of what we're all talking about and to get back to the things that God has called us to be. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like even in our history. We, have, we are like Israel in so many ways. We have a compact that was signed 400 years ago this year to be a nation for God. And the early church, uh, the early founders, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ was essential to our documents and the things that they did. And so our nation is based on God, and we've drifted away from it. And now we're coming alive again. We're getting back to it, this whole thing with the understanding the scriptures from the Jewish traditions and stuff. See, that, that, that burns a fire in people to hunger for God and hunger for his ways and to see him back in our nation because the nation was always founded from the beginning about God and, uh, and professing Jesus Christ as Lord and no other king but Jesus. You know, uh, All of those things are, 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 are in us so deep. And from our Catholic and, and uh, Protestant traditions, our Jewish tradition, we have people from all, all walks, all denominations, a part of the strike force of prayer. It, it makes no difference. I, I, you know, it, well, I agree. I think that, I, I, you know, I, I think when I first began all of this about 14, 15 years ago, it was a Hebrew roots thing. It was uh, going back and studying the Torah, and I realized that every single one of those those roads is a key back to the throne of our God. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we could just kind of get past all of the discriminations and all the bigotries and all the anti-Semitisms and realize that the kingdom of God is being raised up in this place. Yeah. And the citizenry, you mentioned about the pastor in New York who I, I, I connected with. Uh, folks, for the record, I've kind of given up on Facebook. So I'm looking for other ways to do what I do with the time that I have. But it's not about being part of your denomination. It's about being part of the kingdom of God and raising up a banner for the return of our Messiah. And that, I think, is what this is all about. And I believe God is preparing us for that, and he's calling us to prayer. And I think you stepped up to the plate. Dr. Dina Dye stepped up to the plate. But others around the world are Absolutely. also being called to prayer. So I'm grateful, and I'm grateful to have 
you know, we started getting to know each other because you were really kind of bent out of shape <laughs> about this, and now you're on the front lines. Uh, you know, also, there's a part um, of uh, what we do at the Strike Force of Prayer. We have a what we call our uh, Torah portion kind of thing. There's a whole set of prayer calls on Sabbath that are specifically to follow along the lines of the Torah readings. And we have one lady who is Jewish, and she has uh, two or three phone calls where she explains to other Christians that are interested in finding out about their roots. She explains the scriptures and uh, you know the traditions, the feasts, and everything. In fact, right now, that's what she's trying to do. She has a, a call on Thursday night and Friday night, and then a, a call on Saturday, a Sabbath, uh, in the afternoon. And all of that is an explanation of the feasts that are we're going to be celebrating: trumpets, Yom Kippur, etc. And so it, it gets us back in touch with, you know, where where our roots really are. And uh, I, I always say, you know, Jesus was a Jew. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't Mexican, and he wasn't any other any other uh, group. He was a Jew. And so, like you, you, you know, you explained in your own change that took place. That you know, that's 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 just beautiful. It was a paradigm yeah. shift for me when I began to realize that Israel is about the vehicle that God is using to introduce himself to humanity. It's not about the Jewish people per se. It's right. about the reason the Jewish people exist. Right. And through the Jewish people, because of what God is doing, we have the temple. We have the scriptures. We have the Messiah. We have the future. And so our hope is in what God is revealing to us through Israel, which is now born again. Now yeah. God is reconnecting us back to the root of what he's doing and I think you're, you're, you're articulating that beautifully. And this doesn't mean that being a Catholic is a bad thing. Being a, a, a right. Catholic is a bad thing. It means that being a citizen of the kingdom is the Amen. reason all of these things have existed for the last 4,000 years. Amen. It's, it's just, uh, you know, and then we have a president that has opened up a door to make us one with Israel in so many ways. And look at look what he's doing trying to show the the Middle East that there's a, a friendship that can be there based on, you know, it, it, it it's just all tying together. It really is. It's a, it's a beautiful time to be alive. I, I have such hope. I don't, I don't care about all of the things, the things that are going on. Yes, it's nasty, nasty communist crap that's going on in these cities and stuff. But I know in my heart, in my hope, that it's going to be okay. We're going to make it through this. We just got to stand and be who we are, citizens of the kingdom, and we want justice just as there's justice in God's kingdom. We want law and order as there is in God's kingdom. That's, that's basically who, what we are as Americans. And well, Michael, I'm, uh, we've just got a minute or two left in the broadcast. Yeah. Tell folks how they can uh, get in touch with you and also the website. Okay, the, the website is called Simple all runs together, strikeforceofprayer.com. You go there and you'll find anything you need about our prayer calls, what's going on on the Strike Force of Prayer, uh, some of the things that we're involved in. 
Uh, and my phone number is there if you need to call me. Uh, you can do that. Uh, and email, my email address is there too, michael at strikeforceofprayer.com. Uh, I, I answer emails. I try to answer every call that I get to. And like I said, it's now, you know, th- this is a God thing, this prayer movement, because it's international. I mean, I, I, the lady from Kenya that wrote me an email about her starting, she is so excited to do that. And we have a call in South Africa. A lady in Oregon, who lives in Oregon, is from South Africa, and her family is still there. And so she has put together a South Africa prayer call. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, this is God pulling his kingdom together. And... uh you know we're on the right train. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> well, folks, on that note, I you know I, I I can't leave you with any more encouragement. Uh, the thing that you have to keep in mind, which is something I'm going to be saying until I can't breathe anymore, is that your involvement is critical in representing our King. And uh, I, I like to think of it this way, in 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 agreement with Michael, God created this place to dwell amongst His creation. Hmm. And we are representatives of that goal. And so being involved, praying, serving, and doing the things that God has called us to do is what makes the light of the kingdom of God Almighty shine. So we encourage you. Michael Ortega, thank you so much for coming on Returning to Eden. I'll uh, be be editing the program. I'll get it broadcast. I'll send it to you. Uh, Okay wherever you want to share it, and I just can't thank you enough for coming on. Oh, it's been a privilege. I I love it. And remember, you have a date to come talk on my uh, website, too. Yes. (laughs) Your turn is coming up. (laughs) I haven't forgot, okay? (laughs) All All right, right. so, folks, this is Jeff with Returning to Eden. God bless you all, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.